welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Roundabout Sports, presented by Interstate 70 Sports Media, where our passion is our profession. I'm the maestro Jeremy Carp, alongside my colleague, Hollywood James Knox, who is, in fact, not the son of Jim Joyce. Thank the Lord. <laughs> oh, it's a different one every week, isn't it? It is. It is a different one. Sooner or later, I'm going to get, you know, at least he doesn't look like Joe West. Oh, my God. See, now you ruined next week. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, shoot. Now I got to come up with a new one. So how are you doing this week, James? Doing well, sir. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Yes, sir. It has been a crazy, sad, impactful week in the world of sports. Yeah, to say the least, I mean, 2022 just continues to uh, – she just keeps on hitting. So uh, I think the I think you said it perfectly. Between Mother Nature and Father Time, the parents of life are undefeated. So, Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. you know, I think the first tough. thing we'll start off with is how on Monday the sports world lost perhaps its greatest champion. I mean, right. in the late great Bill Russell at the age of 88 and – when you think about this, he and Henry Richard of the Montreal Canadiens have the they're tied for the most championships by a single person in sports history with 11. They wow. they literally won 11 titles. Um, and Bill Russell won five MVPs. He in 1966 became the first uh, black head coach in basketball. And they eventually named the MVP award for the finals after Bill Russell which is 100% fitting right. for a legend of his status. Um, and he was a great ambassador to the game, perhaps the greatest defender of all time. No doubt. Um, and that's the thing people don't realize. He wasn't a big – he scored – don't get me wrong, he scored a lot of points. Point scoring was a big thing of his. But his specialty was his defense. That's what made him just a force to be reckoned with one of the key crucial reasons the Celtics were as dominant as they were for so long. Yep. Um, and those battles between them and the Lakers in the 60s and 70s, it doesn't get much better. Right. And and it, and it leaked over into the 80s, too. You know, not necessarily Bill Russell, but he he planted the seeds there in that rivalry. So when, you know, Robert Parrish and, and Larry Bird and Kevin McHale came along, you know, on Boston, and then you had, you know, Magic and Kareem and, and those guys with, with the Lakers, you know, the seeds of that rivalry were already there. And while those games were intense, who knows if that rivalry really buds the way it does if Bill Russell doesn't exist. I mean, we, we all think – you think of great defenders, you know, you think Shaquille O'Neal, you think, you know, guys like Akeem Olajuwon, you know, uh, you can throw Yao Ming in there, Gary Payton, the glove. Gary Payton was a very um, good one, yes. Carl, Carl Malone. And, but it, it goes so much further back because, you know, back in back when he played, the three-point shot was nowhere near what it is today. Everything was inside, yeah. the, inside the arc. Everything was in the paint. And look, man, I'm a big dude. But there ain't no way in hell I'm going inside on Bill Russell. No way. Talk about your height. Look at me. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, Steph. I'm, I'm, I'm outside. I'll try to rebound. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky to go against my friend who's just six foot. So, <laughs> so yes, that and you know to make it make they all say it goes in threes, and you know Ugh. the second one I guess came last night, which. 
you and I were talking uh, during the pre-show. This absolutely was gut-wrenching when we found out about the loss of iconic sports announcer Vince Scully at the age of 94. That one hurts. And Jeremy, both of us have been in, you know, sports media and broadcasting, you know, and and I always harken back to who my influences were. Jack Buck, uh, Harry Carey uh, and and Vince Scully. And, and we talked about Dick Enberg as well. And, you know, I even go as far, far to say Eli Gold as well, who's the voice of Alabama football, actually got his start, actually did a season of St. Louis Blues hockey. Uh, he's also the voice of Alabama football now in NASCAR. And it come out today that his, his health is failing him. And unfortunately he may be the third one. He's going to miss the beginning of college football and NASCAR season. But, you know, we go back and, and of course, outside of Bush stadium three, you have the nice, the nice little memorial there to Jack Buck with the microphone right there by where the old right field line was in, in, in Bush stadium two. And, and I stopped by there and, and I, I look at it every time and I kind of think back, but those are my influences getting in to radio and what pushed me to go into journalism and you know to think that Vin Scully will be he's the pioneer of long-form broadcasting he really was the host of Los Angeles Dodgers baseball he would storytell it's like he was having a conversation with his with his viewers and his listeners and we all know that even myself and 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 of course the next generation behind me and and so forth and so on you know we live in such a short attention span society now. So we get our highlights in flashes. Uh, if I miss a Rams game, I know, don't shoot me, please. If I miss a Rams game, you know, I want to watch the abbreviated game. I, I can't sit through three hours. I don't have time to do that when I get home at night. So I want 30 minutes of boom, 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 boom. You know, he's the last person that's going to have the opportunity to share long form broadcasting because this this generation and generations to follow, they, they'll never experience what it was like to listen to Vin Scully. No. And, you know, you talked about guys like Harry Carey, guys like Jack Buck, guys like Ellie Gould, you know, ones that you admired and listened to growing up. You know, for me, especially being a big football fan, the guys that I always looked up to and still look up to, you know, the late great John Mann and Pat Summerall. Of course. Um, Al Michaels. um, you know, and even your guys that do more than just announcing games and do stuff in the locker rooms and whatnot, like Bob Costas, um, so many great personalities. And Vin Scully was such a great storyteller in addition to his great commentary. And and to think what I loved, and I put this out last night, and this was out there on a lot of media outlets, the owners changed the players changed, the managers changed, hell, the cities changed it's for true. the Dodgers. Yeah. But Vince Scully was that one constant. He was the one that was there through it all. And I think that's just unbelievable. And for 67 years. Um, and if it wasn't for and to think he he still was behind Tommy Lasorda in the longest time spent in a Dodger uniform somehow. Yeah, that, that's cra- That's crazy to think. You're right. And I, and I, for some reason, the light bulb didn't go off until you said it. I'm like, damn, he's right. But there was also one other thing about Vin Scully, and that was his voice. Boy, the unrecognizable tones. You're the, you know, I'm sorry, the, uh, you, you couldn't miss it. That's what I was trying to say. Unrecognizable. That's not the word I was going for. You know, you knew as soon as you heard, you know, Hello, friends, and welcome to Dodger Baseball. That's I can't do it. I'm not going to try to. Um, but, you know, it's 
it's a shame because broadcasting is an art. And we look at, obviously, us both being huge wrestling fans and sports entertainer fans. You look at somebody like Jim Ross. You look at somebody like a Michael Cole when he doesn't have Vince in his ear. Right. Uh, or, you know, some of these other guys that can that can sit and tell stories. And you brought up Al Michaels. I mean, Al Michaels forever to me will be do you believe in miracles? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and I was... I was, God, I'm going to date myself here. I was still eight months and two days from being born. But, I mean, you know, needless to say, like, I've watched that highlight over and over and over again, and I've seen the movie over and over again. So th- yeah. that's kind of carved into your mind, you know, especially when you think about the the USA and, and, and the games between the USSR at the time. But, you know, Pat Summerall and John Madden, man, you knew it was a big game. And I, I love this on Sundays. You knew it was a big game on CBS if it was John Madden and Pat Summerall. And yeah. I didn't even know that Summerall was a kicker for the Giants until I got older. Didn't care. It was him and Madden. You know, that was it. You know, they, they were on the they were what on the they were on and in the first game of Madden, which, you know, oddly enough, comes out in two weeks. I'm ready. Um, but. You know, I had no clue he was a kicker. I did know Madden was a coach because that's how they build the game. But, you know, I just do them as it was like peanut butter and jelly. It's Sunday. Let's go. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. You talk about you, you talk about not aging yourself. You do realize the Marathon Ice was 1980, right? I do. <laughs> I don't, just, I don't need to be reminded of that, Just Look. throwing that out there. <laughs> I appreciate that. Appreciate no. that. Yeah, that's right. Well, here, let's put it this way. In a, a week from this Saturday, um, the St. Louis Cardinals will be playing the Milwaukee Brewers, in which they'll be honoring the 1982 championship team. Don't and I'm, I'm not saying the, the year anniversary. We'll let the folks at home do the math on that. But I'm just saying it's awesome because Whitey Herzog's going to be there. Keith Hernandez is going to be there. Um, obviously Ozzy, Willie McGee, I mean, Vince Coleman's going to be there, right? Vince Coleman's going to be there. The families of Bob Forsh, um, David Green and Daryl Porter are going to be there, which I think is just tremendous to know because the impact they had on the team can never be forgotten. Um, but yeah, it's just been a tough week when it comes to sports legends and who we've lost and just, like I said, great people in general, this goes more beyond, you know, the realm of sports losing great people, iconic people, ambassadors to what they did. Like, I love the quote that um, Vince Scully had said, it became one of his trademark quotes outside the realm of a broadcast booth. It was, I just want to be remembered as a good man, an honest man, and one who lived up to his own beliefs. Right. You, you can't really put it much better than that. So our thoughts you know, go out to both of their families during this I, tough I want, time. I want to kind of add on to that Ramona Shelbourne, who covers the NBA for ESPN and also uh, ESPN LA big covers the Lakers. That's what she had. She had come out with a comment and a quote that said she never heard a bad thing about Ben Scully and he never had a bad call all the way to the end. Yeah, that's a definitely a great way to emotional way to put it. Right. So 
with that, we will be transitioning to speaking of the world of baseball. It is, I'm exhausted from the trade deadline. And, and yeah, first dude. off, I was about to say kudos to James because he had a special um, trade deadline edition of the strike zone and he did not let up. I mean, he, it was nonstop. And so kudos to him. And we have a lot of traits to talk about. We'll go in as best detail as we can about the most notable. And James, I think we might as well start off with the one that's going to get the most people talking for better or worse. Juan Soto is now a San Diego Padre. Uh, you ever seen the Anchorman movies? Oh, yeah. Go blank yourself, San Diego. <laughs> uh, that's to keep the West Coast audience entertained. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's basically and, – and this is what's the upsetting part. First off, we're going to get into the how the Cardinals fit into this, this whole thing in a minute. But I want to say first, the San Diego Padres, they – it wasn't just Juan Soto. It was a dramatic morning – and and how this all went down. So let me kind of paint the picture for you folks. Okay. The <laughs> Washington Nationals <laughs> traded Juan Soto and Josh Bell to the Padres. For them, they would get Mackenzie Gore, uh, shortstop C.J. Abrams, outfielder Robert Hassel III, outfielder James Wood, <laughs> um, reliever, uh, Jarlin Susana, and originally, and this is the fun part, Eric Hosmer. I think it, I think that gave them their mascot too. I think they're sending Friar Tuck East. Yeah, there you go. Sending him. <laughs> sending all the presidents that race at, at yeah, the, right. There you at, go. out there. Um, there's just there was just one hiccup because everybody was reporting on it. Alan, maybe we reported on it that morning. Like, okay, it's set. Yeah, one problem. Eric Hosmer had a 10-team no-trade list. <laughs> and honestly, when there's 30 teams in baseball, you must feel really crappy about yourself if you're one of those 10 teams. Because the Nationals turned out to be one of the 10 teams. Hosmer's like, yeah, no, I'm not going there. And <laughs> so basically what happens is everything gets held up. And don't get me wrong, the Padres were still one way or another going to get Soto and they were going to get rid of Hosmer. It was just how the hell are they going to do it? So what do they do? They switch in out. They switch out Hosmer. They put in former Cardinal. And I it just blows my mind because he's actually a really good player, but he bounces around a lot. Luke Voigt. Poor Luke. I, I feel so bad because he did go with the Yankees. He did go with the Cardinals. What? What is? I don't know. I feel so bad for him. So they send Luke Voigt in the package instead of Hosmer, and they trade Hosmer to the Red Sox. <laughs> and oh, man. and on top of that, the Padres have to pay a big part of the forty-four million that Hosmer owes. You know, like it, it's kind of where. Like when the Browns traded Baker Mayfield to the Panthers, the Browns paid a decent part of the $18 million he was owed because neither Hosmer nor Baker Mayfield basically had any leverage in their situations. Right. And so, James, what was your take on this whole 
Juan Soto fiasco that literally stretched on for hours uh, Tuesday morning and afternoon. Two, two things. Two things. First of all, you know who Eric Hosmer's agent is, right? Um, Drew Rosenhaus? I don't know. Scott Boris. Oh, so no. there's mistake one. <laughs> there was no way in hell Boris was going to let him go to Washington, considering he represents Juan Soto. Secondly, That's true. why the hell didn't they ask Boris first? That's why these no trade clauses are there. Yeah, exactly. That's now that's the biggest one I wonder. <laughs> that is the biggest one. Like, how are you as a team functionally like running properly if you don't double check the contract of a player you are trying to trade away when specifically it states he cannot go to this team unless he signs off on it. Right. Like, it's not just, hey, maybe he won't notice. No, that is not how contracts work. So it's 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 almost like it's comparable to the Blues trying to t- trade Tarasenko. He's got to have a say-so in where he goes. Yeah. It goes back, funny enough, to the trade where the Blues traded for Ryan O'Reilly and Patrick Berglund, his agent didn't get the list of no-trade teams in soon enough, and they shipped Berglund to Buffalo for O'Reilly before they could get it put in. Berglund was upset. Obviously, he had some mental health issues anyway. That's neither here nor there. But he's like, you know what? I'm done with playing in the NHL. And obviously, you know, finish that equation. Blues don't get O'Reilly. They probably don't win the Stanley Cup. But back to here, you know, first and foremost, I don't blame Eric Hosmer one bit for not okaying that trade. I know that it's not his responsibility to make sure that the team he's leaving becomes a better team. It's not his responsibility. That's on the Padres. That's on their GM. That's on that's on Preller. That's that's on them. So, of course, when this went down, you and I were kind of waiting with bated breath to see what was going to happen here. And I sent you that message. I'm like, yeah, Hosmer's rejecting this trade. And we're like, it's almost like dumb and dumber. You're like, so you're telling me there's a chance. I, I kind of a, equated it on my show yesterday to it's like, okay, so you have a chance to ask a really, really pretty girl to prom. But, you know, she's either going to pick you or the other choice is the quarterback of the, the high school football team. I got to feel them, you know, you really, you had a chance, you had no chance at all. So when it came down to it, you know, the Padres move in, they swoop in. We find out after the fact, kind of getting ahead of ourselves, that the Cardinals weren't in the Soto sweepstakes yesterday. They had gotten out Monday night. So. Yep. You know, we, we we sit here, and, and that's what I Mo says this, and this was on the, the pregame interview last night on Bally Sports with Jim Hayes. And I'm sitting here going, you know, he's like, yeah, we were kind of out of it Monday night. I'm sitting here going, damn, that would have been nice for us to know. Because we we, we expected Tuesday. I will sit here and tell you this, and, and I guess I was living in fairy tale land because I really honestly thought the Cardinals had a chance for Soto. I maybe they too. Maybe they did if they didn't if they didn't ship Josh Bell at the same time. This is where we put the Cardinals into the equation. The Cardinals could have gotten Juan Soto, and it wouldn't have been difficult. There was just one deciding factor, and I'm and I'm going to be the benefit of the doubt on this. I'm not going to blame Mosellock on this. Don't get me wrong. Would I have gladly loved having um, Juan Soto on the Cardinals? 
No kidding. It's not even the money. It's partly the money, but it's not even fully the money. It's Dylan Carlson. They did not want, the Cardinals did not want to give up Dylan Carlson, but the Nationals wanted him. They made it clear over the weekend, Mosellock took him in the office. Yep. Ownership took Dylan Carlson in the office, and they said, look, these guys want you, but we're not going to trade you. We want you on this team. We see something in you. You are a future piece of the success that this organization has. You know, much like Soto, he's 23 years old. Obviously, he hasn't already hit 100-something home runs like Soto, but he's a right. career 253 hitter. Um, and first, and then I want a quick side note on this about Carlson. His performance last night against the Cubs, Cardinals won 6-0 against the Cubs. Dylan Carlson just shut up the haters. Yeah, I was going to really say, did. he went out and had a, definitely had a game last night. Like, and this ties into a little bit more later about one of the other trades, but he made two amazing plays in the outfield. He hit a solo shot. Um, but nevertheless, back backtracking a little bit to the whole thing with Juan Soto, you know, we cannot act like the Cardinals were never going to get him. Right. Because the Cardinals were definitely going, could have definitely gotten Juan Soto. Um, and it was up right until the very end. Basically, it was three teams, the Dodgers, Padres, and Cardinals. Dodgers went out first. Um, the Cardinals were in it till, like you said, Monday night. And basically all it took for the rest of the night in the morning was just the Cardinals, or I'm sorry, the Padres and Nationals figuring out what to do. And the rest is history. So, so my question for you is this. Knowing what the Padres gave up for Soto and Bell, and I'm guessing maybe you take away a player or, or whatever, you know, if you're not worried about Josh Bell, would you have been willing to sacrifice? Maybe that's not the right word. Would you have been willing to have to possibly rebuild in three years and go through three to five seasons of not being competitive or losing to have Juan Soto? I see three to five seasons. No. And here's why the MVP of our team right now, the St. Louis Cardinals is Paul Goldschmidt. Yes, sir. In three to five years, Paul Goldschmidt will be nearing. Well, shoot. Let's say he's 34 right now. He'll he be nearing 35 in September. Yep. He'll be not only near the end of his contract, but in five seasons, like you said, he'd be 39 years old. He's done. Yeah. Um, so, you know, would you rather have a lineup now that has Goldschmidt, Arnado, and Soto, not knowing who will be around them, or, you know, just having Goldie, Arnado, guys like Tommy Edmond, keep Dylan Carlson. Then when the time comes, call up Mason Wynn, Jordan, um, Jordan Walker, you know, and there, there's a lot more to the team. There's still a lot to this team now. And uh, very own Parker uh, Bina right now brings up a great point that Arnado is not opting out of his contract. He's made yeah, it clear, you know. I was going to address that later on because I'm about sick and tired of hearing that. Yeah, Arnado, folks, is not going to opt out. Take it from Parker. Take it from us. He's not opting out. Arnado is a cardinal and you know, probably first, the rest of his career. First of all, it makes no sense for him to opt out because there's nobody. 
And I mean nobody that's going to pay him the money AAV-wise what he's making now. He's not going to get that contract from anybody that's not – at least that's a, not a competitor, you know, that, you know, yeah, if you want to go play for, you know, the Detroit Tigers, they've got that kind of money laying around. You know, if you exactly. want to go play for the Cleveland Guardians, but hell, they don't pay the they don't they've got a problem paying Jose Ramirez. So, I mean, yeah, he's not opting out. Everybody, you know, these chicken little littles that think the sky is falling, it's not the case. Matter of fact, I mean, you're looking at okay, so let's go three years down the road. Uh, at that point in time, we're in 2025, Goldie's done. Um, so you're gonna look at Carlson leading off. Uh, let's say you've got a healthy Tyler O'Neill. Um You've still got Arenado. You've got, uh, let's see, Carlson, Edmund, uh, O'Neill, Arenado. You know, Jordan Walker's going to be up. Mason Wynn's going to be up. DeYoung, there's no telling. You may trade him for a pitcher, whatever, depending on what his his uh, trade value is. You've got a really good young core. Plus, you know, you're going to need a pitcher because we all know, and look, I, I don't care what your thoughts on his viewpoints are. Jack Flaherty, as a pitcher and pitcher alone, is not an ace anymore. Unless he has an unbelievably bounce-back season. And, hell, I'm not sure he comes back this year. Just like I'm not sure Steven Matz comes back. You're going to have to go out and get somebody who's the top of the rotation arm because you're not sure Wainwright's coming back. I mean, Michaelis has been outstanding this year. But, look, we've seen it. You know, Michaelis is a, a – an avid fisherman down in, in in Miami and down in Jupiter where he lives. His career is kind of like the waves of the ocean. It's up and down. It's rocky. It's bumpy. And at the slightest, you know, anything that gets thrown off, you could capsize. So we've seen that over his career coming back from Korea, you know, after signing with the Cardinals, you, you can't bank on that either. So you need these pieces. And look, you've got Jordan Montgomery. Uh, you got him in the Harrison Bader trade, which – Every female baseball fan in the St. lost their minds. Uh, I, I like the trade, and I'll get we'll, we'll get to Harrison Bader later, I'm sure. Um, and, and you get and you get Jose Quintana for this year, and you get a good live arm in Chris Stratton who closed out last night's game. So yeah, you 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 started to build the foundation pitching wise, uh, but you cannot. You absolutely cannot mortgage your future for one player that's going to cost a half a billion. Let me say that one more time. Half a billion. <sighs> half of what Mega Millions was. Half of that to for the next 15 years. You can't do that. I don't care who you are. Last time I checked, money doesn't buy championships. The Braves were not the best team in baseball last year. They got hot. They knocked off the Dodgers, and they beat the Astros in the World Series. Look, I know everybody hates Mo, but I'm going to use a Moism. Once you get in, it's a crapshoot. Just get in. Yeah, and, you know, we look at a lot of the pitchers <laughs> that the Cardinals have, you know, whether it's starters, relievers, and like we said, with um, the, the acquisitions as far as trades go. Um, first off, the Jose Quintana one. We'll, we'll, we'll go to that one right now because that's a crucial one, and it ties into a question that um, was sent to us. Okay. So the St. Louis Cardinals traded um, – oh, where is it? They There we go. They, trade, they traded um, Johan Oviedo and uh, minor leaguer Malcolm Nunez to the Pirates. 
in a rare in-division trade, folks. We, last week, we said how rare it was for in-division trades to happen. But it happened, you know. Blind Squirrel finds a nut, you know, once in a while. Um, but Jose Quintana and Chris Stratton as were traded to the Cardinals. And I like the trade. I think both pitchers um, bring a lot to the table. And, you know, Chris Stratton already has made, made an impact. Um, Quintana's going to be – he fills in a spot. People don't realize – we're not it's not even so much looking for guys who are Cy Young winners. It is looking for guys who can do what the pitchers on the Cardinals can't and go past five innings. And if throw strikes. Gonna, yeah, and throw strikes. Dakota Hudson. I feel like this is the third damn week. No, it's the second one because on this opener, it was basically it was wrestling city, baby. But on last week's episode, I made it clear Dakota Hudson can't get out of the damn fourth, fifth inning. And he, and yep. like you keep saying, he doesn't throw strikes. His strike, his control is terrible. Um, Pelante, who had his best start of his career, major kudos to him. Um, he's moved back to the bullpen, which is fine, but you can't rely on a bullpen session game where you have all these guys coming in because then they'll get exhausted for the starts ahead. And here's the question that would come in. Right. What about Matthew Libertor and Z and or Zach Thompson? So James, I'm going to shoot that one to you. Where are they in this whole cluster situation with the organization? Well, I think we've seen that Libertor is not quite ready yet. Um, you know, he, he did have some good starts this year. His first start against Milwaukee was fantastic. But he wasn't linked in, he wasn't giving you any length either. I mean, he gets you through three, maybe four innings. And then, you know, he was not finding the strike zone as effectively as he as he needed to be. Zach Thompson, I like him a lot. He has not been stretched out uh to be a starter. I, I like him, I kind of like him as a, a hard throwing lefty out of the bullpen uh on nights that Hennessy's Cabrera is not available. Uh, but I think that Thompson is a starter in the future. It, just like Libertor is, but the whole the whole Jose Quintana thing, I don't look. He's a he's a rental, so you know you get he gets you through the rest of this year. But I think we've seen, and you, you'll agree with me, you cannot have too much pitching depth. Wasn't I screaming last week about you can't do the same thing that you do year after year after yeah. year, and that's overestimate your pitching depth because the Cardinals look and, and and I know last year was the anomaly coming off the the COVID year. Because so many pitchers were not stretched out. And you had guys that were, you know, trying to throw 80, 100, 150, 200 innings. And their body, you know, either they had COVID or they weren't, you know, you're coming off a year where a lot of guys only threw 60 to 80 innings. They just didn't have the, they weren't lengthened out. Then this year, the strike or the lockout rather. So you had an abbreviated yeah. spring training. So, I mean, look, there's, it's tough. And the Cardinals don't want to rush either one of them to the show too early and, you know, kind of either burn them out or just, you know, you don't, I don't think you want to overexpose them either. I really don't. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, I remember a lot of people were saying they don't want to have a repeat of the John Lester, um, J.A. Happ situation, but what people don't realize it worked. Right. I, I totally get you don't want to just do these rentals year after year after year. But 
last year, if it wasn't, and you brought this up, if it wasn't for Happ and Lester, we're not making the playoffs. No doubt. chance. Um, And, you know, I'm not saying Quintana and Montgomery, who we'll talk about later, are the tickets to the World Series, but I'm saying it's a hell of a lot better than having so much instability because right now you only have two pitchers in your rotation that most people can confidently say, yes, I believe in them. I know they're going to produce solid starts and we're going to get through, a, we're going to have a really good game with them. And that's right. Wright and Michaelis. And of course, they're the two oldest pitchers in the rotation because life's unfair. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the great thing is too, is like, you know, and you, and you mentioned Jordan Montgomery, you know, he's still got a year under, uh, a year under control. He's got one more arbitration year. Uh, and that's after this season. And, and I would imagine the Cardinals will try to buy out his free agency years as well. You know, I, I did watch a an interview, an exit interview uh, with him at the Yankees podium once he had found out he'd been traded. And I mean, it looked like he had lost his dog. But I'll tell you what, for everybody who is mad about trading Harrison Bader, I, I, I can't sit on this any longer. I got to do it. So go on and look at this interview or look at anything of Jordan Mon Montgomery or just just Twitter search Yankees fans. They are pissed that Jordan Montgomery got traded. And so he's 3 and 3 with a 3.69 year or earn run average this year. He's got an ungodly breaking ball that falls off the table. He was pitching in the AL East, so you know he's battle tested because that division's not a joke and neither is this kid. For everybody wow. who was all worried about Harrison Bader, understand one thing and listen to me very closely. I'll say it louder for those in the back. Harrison Bader's game is predicated on speed and defense. If he gets on base, he steals you bases. He's dealing with plantar fasciitis, which means there's a good chance he's going to have a chronic foot ailment for the rest of his life. If you take away his wheels, you lose his speed and defense. You good? Good. I'm glad you're following everybody. So, and what did Dylan Carlson do while Harrison Bader was out? Dylan Carlson center field defense made Harrison Bader expendable. Plain and simple. The way DC played and, and, and you know, just roamed center field, it made the Cardinals able to trade Harrison Bader because Carlson showed that he can play the position well. You lost me at hello. No. <laughs> no, it's it is definitely an interesting scenario with Harrison Bader. And like I said, before we get to him, I think we got to transition out to want to some trades that happened with players that the, were on the Cardinals radar and went to other teams, and then some trades that impacted other teams in general that you know Cardinals didn't give two shits about. So um, first, we're going to go to the other side of the state of Missouri. Oh, boy. And, and this one, first, I just, this might be one of the most ironic, interesting ones yet. I know where you're okay. going with this, too. The Kansas City Royals traded Whit Merrifield to the Toronto Blue Jays. Now... People may say to themselves, why are they're saying, why is that interesting? Okay. 
This is gonna this I can't believe I'm going. <laughs> Literally right before the all-star break, Whit Merrifield and a whole slew of other Royals players were unable to play in Toronto because they're unvaccinated. And now Whit Merrifield goes to a team that he has to be vaccinated in order to play for, per the you know, the rules of being vaccinated in Canada and whatnot. Whit Merrifield is an extremely talented player, one of the brightest spots on the Royals this year. But of all the teams that he could have gone to in this situation, in the world we live in, he goes to the one team that actually conflicts with something that he personally believes in. I mean, what? I'm still, I can't wrap my head around that one. I don't know. I I mean, that's that's all I've got for you. Because when I saw it, one, I was surprised he was traded. I really was. I mean, because that trade came pretty late, you know, in the day yesterday. And I'm, Sitting there and it was like, yeah, they traded him to Toronto. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, they didn't. Oh, yes, they did, too. And oh, yeah. I'm just like, this is nuts. I was like, so I went back and kind of dug some stuff up. And, and they did, he did mention that if he did get traded to Toronto, that he may, he may change, may change his views on vaccination. I'm guessing he's going to. But this is the thing. It's not about asking him to change his views. It's literally saying, look. Get the shot. I don't even know if they're asking about getting fully vaccinated, but I know. Get the shot or else you cannot play 81 games of a 162-game season because it requires you to be home in Toronto where you have to be vaccinated. Yeah, you can't even cross here. You can't even cross the border. The hell with playing baseball. You can't cross the border. Right. You can't get some bomb-ass maple syrup unless you get vaccinated. (laughs) Like, that is the problem here. (laughs) <laughs> like <sighs> you lost me at maple syrup <laughs> you can't watch oh. the maple leafs choke another season away That's unless right. you live in person of course <laughs> unless you get vaccinated man and like i said we're not trying to start a big political campaign for whit Merrifield here but what we're saying is this is literally one of those situations where it's either this happens or this can't happen. Yeah. You need to get the shot or you can't play. Um, uh, so I, I, I don't know. And do you also, think- well, hang on one second. Welcome CJ um, from the CNG podcast network, a part of um, the uh, 2G podcast network out in the East coast. I work with Buddy Andrade a lot. An amazing group of and talented group of podcasters and fans and writers. It's a pleasure to be involved with them. So thank you all for tuning in, whether it's for the first time or not. So thank you. Uh, continue, James. So my question, my question for you is this: if if we continue, whether it's with COVID or God forbid monkeypox or whatever next disease comes down the pike here, do we see whether it's major? Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, do we see these sports leagues and these agents start to put um, like clauses in people's contracts that state, hey, look, you know, and this is not a personal viewpoint. I'm just stating this for the hypothetical. Right. Do I have to, you know, due to my viewpoints, whether it's religious or, or, you know, just whatever, 
we start to see like clauses put in these trades that say, or in these contracts to say, you can't trade me to a Canadian team or you can't trade me to this team or that team. If that is still in, you know, if that's still in play in Canada, do we, do we start to see contracts built around a vaccination clause, if you will, for the lack of a better term? I mean, you, you possibly might, you almost are in either that or, uh, I mean, I guess this does show that the expos aren't coming back anytime soon, unfortunately, because it's like, hell, we're having we're having problems getting people to go to one Canadian team, and now we'd have to worry about getting them to go to two. Right. Although I'm telling you, they got to bring the expos back. I just please let I it happen. It. Anyway, that said, I could see a lot of um, amend amendations being made in the contracts of players for future because. Let's be honest. We don't know when this is this whole pandemic is going to end. We don't know. There might be something else that pops up in our disease that will affect international travel, you know. And, yeah, I know. I hope not. I pray not that it doesn't happen. Um, but, yeah, it's just – it was so ironic. This was irony at its finest hearing an unvaccinated player getting traded to a place that needs to be. And let me just say this, you know, Whit Merrifield is having himself one hell of a season to the point where I thought that he should have been an all-star. I mean, he's knocked in 42 RBIs. He's stolen 15 bases. He's hit six home runs. Um, he's hitting 240, but he is most of all very reliable. Like he had an 800 plus game. Um, starting streak that only ended because he had a toe injury, yep. which, okay, here's another interesting piece of irony. That toe injury that they took him out, one game, and it was the game before the Toronto series. No, it would have ended anyway, right? Yeah. Well, some people were saying that that's why they wanted to end it because they didn't want the um, the vaccination status to be the reason why it uh ended which i'm sorry but no i i don't buy that i i believe it was a legit a toe injury um nevertheless the kansas city royal that was not the only trade though let merrifield going to the blue jays was not the only trade that kansas city um was a part of and here's one where actually it happened out on monday where the royals traded emmanuel rivera their third baseman to the diamondbacks for here we go again with the former Cardinals showing up in our, our broadcast, Luke Weaver, um, another guy bounced around a lot. And, you know, this year, Weaver has not been good. He's not. He has a 7.71 ERA in 16 innings pitch. Um, Rivera's 26 years old and He's in the past two years, he's had 92 games of big, big league experience. Um, so I have a lot of questions, especially since there's such there's no depth of third baseman on the Royals big league roster. I'm wondering why this trade was made. You know, we had talked last week about the struggles of the Royals um, pitching situation. Right. And considering that they lost four to one today. To the Chicago White Sox, obviously, it's not gotten any better in the week we've been off. But at some point, you know, you, either the Royals are hoping for a resurgence from Luke Weaver, 
or they felt they could couldn't get enough out of Emmanuel Rivera. And, you know, of all the questionable moves, and mind you, right now the Royals are 41 and 64 this season. They are just above the Athletics and the Nationals as the worst team in baseball record-wise. And they are just right now their goal is to catch up to the Tigers so they can be one less team from being the worst. This is absolutely the dumbest trade ever. So I'm on I'm on spot track and I'm kind of looking at injury history and career earnings and everything else for Luke Weaver, right? Again, another Scott Boris represented client. I'll drink so, that. <laughs> Weaver lo- Weaver missed two months. He missed 66 days earlier this year, came back on June 12th. Okay. Missed 66 days due to an elbow injury. He was paid over, he was paid $1.02 million while he was injured. I was going to say this. Okay. So this has got to be, this has to be just a, a salary dump by Arizona, right? Because, I mean, this makes absolutely no damn sense to me. So you take on Luke Weaver. Let me get back to the page here. Um, Because I wanted to see what Rivera was making salary-wise. Wasn't anything spectacular. I can tell you that. He was 700 grand. I think he was the league minimum. Yeah, because the Royals don't have a high payroll for for the most part. I mean – they, they're, they're not big contract dumpers. They don't shell out the big bucks. It's exactly um, what he was making. He was his 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 contract for the year was one year 700, 700 grand. So I, I you just took on roughly four point one million, no, three point one million dollars. I that makes the or three point so three hundred and ten grand is what you're you're taking on. It doesn't make any sense to me. No, I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. And okay, no either. this is the thing. Here's another thing. Rivera. All right. When we talk about Whit Merrifield, Merrifield was is hitting 240 this year, um, and has six home runs. Rivera has six home runs, is batting 237, and has 22 RBIs. He's okay. played now. It's almost been half the at bats. Um, Rivera has uh, 198 at bats. Merrifield is 383. So okay. obviously, sample size is a big difference. It's like, hey, I'm doing almost as much with less. Right. Um, but that said, I mean, he's been in 63 games this year, and he's shown what he can do. He can do a decent amount. And honestly, like, if you're gonna go give up a young guy who has potential for a pitcher, at least get a pitcher that makes sense for the move. Arizona right. was pro- now. I guarantee. I'm. I have to be positive that it was the Royals who initiated the whole thing. Um. You know, I would be hard pressed to see the Royals just say, "Yeah, we'll we'll take uh take Luke Weaver. You would just we'll just give you this guy." Like, there's got to be something more to it. Yeah, like I said, I mean that's one of those one of those trades that just really doesn't make any sense unless you know just in terms of it, you know, it's kind of the uh, the uh, the salary dump there by Arizona. But I mean, I just I don't know. I mean, unless well, and look, Matheny does have experience with Luke Weaver. 
Luke Weaver did cut his teeth in the majors with Matheny as the manager in St. Louis. So, I mean, maybe, maybe yeah. that's what you're looking at. I, I don't – maybe that's just it. It's familiarity. And maybe, you know, M Mike Matheny thinks that he and the pitching coach you fired last week, Cal Eldred, can get uh, something out of out of Luke Weaver. I, I, I don't know. I don't – personally, I don't see it. I just don't. I was going to say, I mean uh... – yeah, I basically did uh, fire him last week. And oh, yeah, I got, you, you burn him at the stake. I I stand by it, too. And yeah. Is that, if, you know, tell me otherwise. I'll die I on can't. that platform. I can't. I'm not, nope. <laughs> I will die nope. on that platform until I see improvement. Look, I felt the same way when Derek Lilliquist was in St. Louis, so I, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> Oddly enough, Lilliquist is a former Royal, but whatever. Whatever. The, see, the ties between the Royals and Cardinals just go deep. Okay, yep. well, next – now, we were speaking about players that the Cardinals had their eyes on. Obviously, no. Luke Weaver was not one of them, but no. Frankie Montez was. And of all the people, of all the teams that had to get him, why, why the hell was it the Yankees? So the Yankees get Frankie Montez, Lou Trevino from the Oakland A's. You know, they've won 70 games as of August 3rd. I know when we started the show and the Yankees send four prospects, the number five in their system, uh, Ken Waldachuk, uh, Luis Medina, their number 10 prospect, um, JP Sears, their number 20 prospect and infielder Cooper Bowman, number 21 in their, uh, top prospect. So it's not like this was one-sided. This was a very good deal for both sides. The mm -hmm. A's obviously, are full rebuild. They are looking to yep. build full of young guys, really beef up the farm system, get something going maybe for 2024. Um, obviously, any move that the Yankees make is in relation to coming out of the 2022 season as the World Series champions. Yeah. That well, is the way it is. And and I think being I think them acquiring Frankie Montas and Lutravino made it easier for them to ship Jordan Montgomery to St. Louis. That that deal's tied together. You cannot you cannot possibly tell me that being able to get a, a frontline starter like Montas with the guys, you've already got Domingo Herman, you've got Garrett Cole, you've got Jamison Tyon. They are loaded in their starting rotation. So oh, yeah, it, be absolutely. It, it became an it became a situation where Jordan Montgomery was uh at that point in time expendable. So uh but like I said earlier, I mean, you've got a lot of Yankee fans that hold a lot of – there was a lot of – how do I put this? Wailing and gnashing of teeth when they found out he was traded because they they, they put a lot of stock in the kid. And so, you know, but I do think – and look, Brian Cashman is a smart general manager. I mean, he learned under right. – you learned under Steinbrenner, okay? You don't – you don't automatically become dumb. This isn't Seinfeld, you know, learning under Steinbrenner. This, you know, you you retain this stuff. And you're right. Every move they made, even sending even sending Joey Gallo to the Dodgers, you know, every move they made was just everything was methodical and it was planned out to the point where they want to hold that commissioner's trophy at the end of the year. You nailed it. Yeah. And Anything less than that is going to be a disappointment. So yep. then there goes um, Frankie Montez. Then you get um, – you want to explain the other pitcher that uh, was another interesting one? 
on the Cincinnati Reds. Oh. I, I figured I'll let you take this one. What, Castillo or Tyler Malley? Because I like them Tyler both. Tyler Malley. Man, look, I was so pissed off at this. It seemed as if it seemed as if the Cardinals were Charlie Brown yesterday and the Minnesota Twins were Linus with that damn blanket because they followed the – it seemed like they were on the same orbit as the Cardinals all day long when it came to looking at pitchers. So yeah. as, as I'm sitting here, you know, doing my show yesterday and I'm kind of spanning through everything and I'm like, all right, well, maybe the Cardinals will get Mally. You know, then, of course, they come out that they were interested in, in, uh, in Hill, uh, you know, in Ridge Hill. And I'm like, don't do this to me. So – Watching, 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 and the next thing you know, the Minnesota Twins are signing, or or it was a trade for Tyler Malley, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So, the Cincinnati Reds acquire Spencer Steer, who is a minor league shortstop, Stephen High, Stephen Hayar, who is a, he's going to be a, a middling pitcher, if anything, maybe a bullpen piece. And then Christian Encarcion Strand, who is not even in the United States yet. And those three pieces went for Tyler Molly, Tyler Malley, rather. So, yeah, I boy, I was hot. And when I saw him come off the board, I'm like, well, what's left? Because let's face it, nobody, I, I didn't think they would try. I knew who Jordan Montgomery was, but I think the Cardinals would trade for him. So, yeah, when that comes through, I was like, we're screwed. Because I'm thinking, I will, you know, maybe they'll turn their head towards uh, Rodon out in San Francisco, which surprised me he didn't get moved. And I'm like, okay, well, if you're not going to get Rodon, go get Noah Syndergaard. And then about five minutes after that, I was ready to throw my laptop. Yeah, because uh, Syndergaard went, um, went away to the Angels, and instead of going, he went back to the National League East, but this time he decided to go to the Phillies. What the freaking Philadelphia? The team, mind you, that's right ahead you and ahead of you in the damn wild card race, just went out and got Thor, and then in their bullpen they get David Robertson from the Cubs. Hey man, I was but uh, we was got but we no. <laughs> hey man, we got JoJo Romero, Chestnut Checkers. Yeah, <laughs> who by the way is is pitching in Memphis? He's not even on the damn forty man roster. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> so we get all that. Then in a couple pieces of news that involve um, former Cardinals, again, Red Sox get uh, former Reds and former Cardinals outfielder Tommy Pham. He's been stabbed twice, you know. Yeah. He's in Pham, <laughs> Pham sitting 238 with 11 home runs this year so far. And um, on top of that, then you get here's, – here's an interesting one, a name I have not heard pretty much all season – um, Trevor Rosenthal, yeah, one that everybody that thought was the long term, long time amazing closer who I hoped would be. I mean, we're not gonna say otherwise, but um, last and this is the thing we're gonna talk about. You want to talk about jumping ship so many times? Yeah, the Giants just signed Rosenthal last month. Last month they just signed him, and now it's like, yeah, you know what, we're sick of you, and they send him to the Brewers. So he's back in the National League Central, and you want to know why this, that he's this back a, in the National League This is a good League move Central? for the Brewers because that's yeah. what we found. Oh, because when we say, found out, that, well, when we found out the Brewers traded Josh Hader to San Diego, there it I'm is. Sitting going, I'm sitting there going, "What are you doing? You're in first place." 
First place teams are not supposed to be somber or upset. You literally just traded one of the best closers in the majors. And I'm so obviously he goes to San Diego. Taylor Rogers comes back in, in a in a flurry of other players. And now you're sending Rosenthal back to the NL Central, where at least it's a good move for him because it's familiar. I mean, you know, Rosenthal pitched, you know, with the Cardinals for for a handful of seasons. You know, he knows the NL Central well. Um, so, I mean, it's a good move for Trevor. I hope he has a, a good rest of his year, just not when he faces us. Yeah, I hope when he faces us, he just absolutely is doing terrible. But other than that, I hope, hope he slides out. And this is the hope thing. He pitches like, hope he pitches like Mitchell Boggs when he pitches against us. Oh, oh my God. Well, you know, and, and going on with the Josh Hader trade. So it's interesting that perhaps the two biggest trades that had happened during the trade deadline period of the first and second involved the Padres. Everything right. involving Juan Soto. And I think that started to overshadow the whole Josh Hader getting traded to the Padres. Right Now, this is what to me is the most significant. Everybody's saying, oh, they're trading their top closer, perhaps the top closer in all baseball for, you know, Taylor Rogers and some other guys. Josh Hader heading into this trade was first in baseball with 29 saves. Taylor Rogers was second with 28. So Boy. it's not like you're getting a bum in return for Josh Hader. Like you are you are setting yourself up not only for current success by still having a dominant reliever, but you're but you have young prospects on top of this. So the Brewers honestly got a really good haul. Meanwhile, the Padres now with the practically unstoppable lineup they're going to have. Now they're starting to get pieces for the pitching rotation and their bullpen. I mean, I'm telling you right now, look, the American League has won, what, the past nine All-Star games? Yep. There, there's a reason the National League has won about, what, three out of the past four World Series in the last three in a row? You guys can have the little game with the hot, with the top players that don't matter. We'll win the big trophies. That's right. what's going on. Mark my words. Unless the Yankees have anything to say about it, the World Series trophy is staying in the National League this year. And that if I was, and if I'm a betting man, it's I think it stays. I, I think it's going to the NL West. I mean, look the the Padres and that, and look the Padres weren't done. Remember, they went out and still acquired Brandon Drury from the Reds. They got yeah. a twenty. They got a twenty home run bench bat. I mean, to to play until Fernando Tatis Jr. comes back. So, I mean, you went out and made a deal for insurance for your all-generational shortstop who has light tower power, can run like the wind, and plays defense like he's a Hoover vacuum cleaner. I mean, the rich got richer. The Dodgers, they didn't, they didn't even make a whole lot of moves. In, in, in hindsight or looking at things as a whole, like it was the Padres – and then, you know, the Yankees are like, they're sitting over there going, oh, well, we've got some competition now. But, yeah. you know, I don't know. I I got to the point, I think I said it during my show yesterday, I was like, I'm the rich got richer. And, but the poor you know, got you, poor. You're right. And you wonder, because even as the trade deadline, like you didn't need Pablo Lopez from Miami, but by God, the Dodgers and the Yankees were both in on him until the very last part or the very last minute of that trade deadline. And I'm like, you're only doing this because you see 
or in the Dodgers case, they see little brother over there lurking. Little brother's got a stick and he's coming after you. Well, looking at it now, little brother's still got a long way to go because there's they're 11 and a half games behind the Dodgers going into play tonight. And uh, I'll tell you what, the Dodgers and Padres this weekend on Sunday night baseball. In the words of T.O., get your popcorn ready because it's going to be good. Uh, it, it, yeah, it'll be a pleasant evening wherever you may be. I'll tell you yeah. that much. Um, I So it was just a wild few days in Major League Baseball, I'll tell you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Roundabout Sports, presented by Interstate 70 Sports Media. I'm the maestro Jeremy Carp. Alongside is Hollywood James Knox, who is refreshing himself because, let me tell you, some of the moves at the trade deadline really got under his skin. Um, but now we move on to another interesting topic going on, and that is WWE SummerSlam, the first pay-per-view or streaming event, you know, big event, under the Triple H era, or Triple H slash Stephanie McMahon, but with Triple H running creative, it's almost, you know, you could tell at SummerSlam this year, it was definitely a different era. Um, it was the first pay-per-view event following the retirement of Vince McMahon, who had been the chairman and CEO since 1982 of of WWF slash WWE. I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, and let me just say, so first, I, I want to throw out the, the two matches that involved celebrity slash personalities. The first one, um, Logan Paul defeating The Miz with Maurice at ringside. Um, and Tommaso Ciampa was at ringside. Yeah. This is matches like this are why the Miz is one of the most underrated yet one of the greatest of the past 30 years because you could tell Logan Paul Logan Paul had a lot of good spots in that match. Yeah. A lot of good spots. But the Miz carried the match. And he was that veteran presence. He was the one that made the match look a lot better. And I'm not saying it was a bad match by any means. I'm just saying that if it was an, a less experienced opponent that like that Logan Paul was in there with, yeah, it would have been a catastrophe. Like right. the Miz was the perfect opponent for Logan Paul to have in this scenario. Well, and you know, that, that, that's actually a really good observation. And I, I don't know if you saw it. Logan Paul actually went to WWE and had his contract restructured to where it includes house shows now, because I, I think that for him gets him ring reps you know, where he's not in the spotlight. I mean, obviously he can go. I mean, he's very athletic, you know, more so athletic than what I thought uh, initially when the when he and the Miz teamed up at, at WrestleMania. Uh, I just, some of the, I mean, you could tell, and, and this may be the kayfabe part of it and, and kind of storyline built into it too, but pulling out the phenomenal forearm and, and some of these other moves, like you can tell that, He's not just a student of the game. He's a fan as well. So he's he's kind of trying to implement everything he's learning into every match. And, and it's that's hard to do, obviously. I've, I've never been in the ring. I don't care to do it. You know, because I, I quite frankly, I can't do what they, what they do. But you, what you're seeing is the fact that he knows at what point in time, you know, when to 
you know, when to, when to, when to pull out the phenomenal form, when to do the springboard, you know, when to, you know, and, and, you know, just to implement those moves because he, and we talked about this, uh, you know, with the dragon guild in the, on the relaunch of the show about, you know, that, that up, that up-tempo quick pace match, like just constantly going, going, going. That's Logan Paul's style. And you're going to have to put him in a, a, a ring until he gets more accustomed and more acclimated to, to his style and finds his niche. You're going to have to do that with either the Miz or AJ Styles or Tommaso Ciampa, or even if, if Johnny, Gorg, Johnny Gargano were to come back, you know, guys like that, that can carry the match that can go at that pace. Because if not, I don't think the two styles mesh. And, and I think you would see just a, just a real botched match, a real, real botched product. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And the second one the, that, let me tell you something. I cannot tell you how much I love having this guy in WWE. I cannot tell you how much he's a joy to watch and listen to on Friday nights and any show he's on. And of course his own uh, podcast. And that's Pat McAfee. Pat yes, McAfee is literally put him on like the Time Magazine's one of the most important men of the year type thing. This guy right. is epic on so many levels, and he faced off against Happy Corbin, who they've had a good feud going for a while now. And let me tell you, it once again very good match out of Pat McAfee. Very entertaining. The entrance was badass. The match was badass. Um, Happy Corbin, Baron Corbin, whatever you want to call him, is easily one you can despise, which makes it all the more reason to cheer on Pat McAfee. Um, so that was a great match. And all the while on top of that, I just want to say, and this goes for the entire event, and you can tell it was different because Vince wasn't screaming in his ear. Right. Big kudos to Michael Cole. Right. He's gotten so much hate over the past few years. And it's not, you know, really warranted. He's, you know, and people are fine. I think now are finally starting to give him more of the respect that he does deserve. He's been a journalist for 30 plus years. He's been the WWE slash WWF for well over 20 years. I mean, he has really put in his hours. And the com the amount of commentary and emotion he had at SummerSlam this year was just off the charts and it was great. Yeah, I agree. And, and I mean, obviously, you know, you would have, I mean, obviously events is still in his ear. You never hear Pat like verbally like cheer on or, or Michael Cole actually verbally cheer on Pat McAfee. Like he was at SummerSlam, you know, like get up, Pat, get up, Pat, do this, you know? And, and of course, you know, I, I thought it played well because Corey Graves, played the antagonist, you know, you know the, the antagonist part here. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it was it was a great – I thought it was a great match. Pat McAfee Pat, – Pat said on his show that he was unhappy with it, but he also said he didn't realize how humid it was going to be, that the ring was wet, kind of slick, and so were the ropes. And he had he had not worn the shoes that he had on, you know, and, and ex, you know, expected that to be the case. But, you know, I thought it was a great match. Um, it was one of those matches, too, where, you know – First and foremost, the entrance. You've got a choir at the top of Nissan Stadium, like singing "Bum Ass Corbin." Are, 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 are you serious yeah. right now? That was that, that was, was great. I, I didn't expect that. I thought. I thought. Look, I overall, I thought the show was great. I, I really did. And 
you know, and he, he leaked he leaked over even into Monday night. You know, you could tell Raw was different. The United States title, welcome back. Where you been? You know, keep it moving. How you doing? Uh, you know, it, it was good to see. It was just good to see that that title means something again. And, yes. you know, and the women, too. You know, the, the women were front and center there. You know, it was. Naomi and know, Sasha Banks are going to be coming back now because, yep, yep. you know, they were able to reach. Well, and that's the thing about SummerSlam was Bailey came back, uh, you know. Yes, with Dakota You know, EO Sky now, Dakota Kai. Yeah, it was good to see them back, and they're going to be played into this big. You know, you hate to see Becky and the injury report that comes out with her that she actually wrestled that entire Bianca Belair match uh, at SummerSlam with a separated shoulder, so she's going to be taking some time off. But, you know, overall, I mean – that was one of the things under NXT. Look at the matches we saw between like Bailey and Sasha Banks and, you know, the, the four horsewomen and stuff like that. Look, right. it's, it's, it's time to finally get back to where I believe sports entertainment is supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. And you can tell with Triple H, um, there's so much more passion. And yeah, I love it. Apparently it was his idea for Becky Lynch to turn face. Um, after the match with Bianca Belair, which is the right decision. Now, I do want to warn anybody who may be a little squeamish about this image I'm about to show. This is, you know, James had just mentioned Becky Lynch wrestled with a separated shoulder. Mm. When I saw this, I mean, this, if you think, if anybody thinks anything less of these professional wrestlers out there, men and women, these pro wrestlers put literally their lives, their bodies on the line for our entertainment. Imagine putting on a match the length they did and the quality they did like this. Mm. I mean, mm. just look at the shoulder. You can just tell, oh. And she was there the next night on Raw in a sling. And, you know, it's just, it's hard to look at. Becky Lynch is my favorite uh female wrestler one of my favorite wrestlers in general um so it's unfortunate i know when she comes back she's probably still going to be a face because what you know they're not gonna just all of a sudden up and he'll turn her after one appearance you know right um but i think and bailey is is so underrated it's great seeing her back at SummerSlam once again the stable that she's formed um apparently was an idea that was nixed by vince mcmahon in the past um, so then look, like I said last week, you know, we will never, we can never undervalue and forget what Vince McMahon has done for the industry and all the accomplishments, but just look at how forward thinking triple H is right now. Right. Like that's the thing. And look, and Stephanie McMahon on top of that, let's not discredit Stephanie McMahon. And it's just the whole environment those two have now created in the locker room Every, the morale is up. Raw last night had over 2 million viewers, the best uh, viewership, I think, in over two years. Yep. Um, you know, I, I'm i excited. And I think, and, you know, as we're doing this show, AEW Dynamite's going on. And I can only imagine what's going on in their locker room, just thinking, okay, now we really got to step our game up. You know, I because I love both products. I right. even during the bad times I love WWE. But you, go ahead. Do you think that and when look, there are there are wrestlers uh in AEW's locker room, Adam Cole's unhappy. There are other reports of 
some other guys that are not happy with the way things are there. Do you think that, and maybe it may be a little too early for this extreme, do you think a little bit of that WCW mentality starts to kind of ease into their locker room going, oh, hell, you know, Triple H is running the show now. We saw how the product was under him and, and Stephanie, and especially if they can come back and even be, you know, maybe that on screen, like the authority figure again as well. Like that worked really well. Um, I just wonder if you can start to have matches like they had on Raw. I mean, look, Seth Rollins and, and Riddle didn't fight. They, of course, they built that up. Apparently, that match is going to take place at Clash at the Castle Labor Day weekend. Uh, I just wonder if you start to, con- if you continuously have matches and you're starting to see like this snowball effect where the snowball is rolling down the hill and it's getting bigger and bigger. I wonder if AEW, like Tony Khan, like, look, man. He his his last comments. There's a little bit of I think self preservation there, but he may be a little timid about what may be to come for for his business as well. I you know one thing I like about Tony Khan is that he is a fan. He right. is a wrestling fan who wants what's best for his business. Whereas at the end of WCW, it was just hey, if you are a top guy and you have That's the power. True. You, you get to control everything. Or if you're right. Vince Russo, who's just a pain in the ass, you know. Um, so, you know, I think you don't have to worry about the whole co- the Hollywood Hulk Colgan, the Kevin Nash type stronghold or stranglehold, honestly, of control right. in AEW. Um, I think you do have to worry about Tony Khan's attitude, not so much as arrogant or cocky, maybe just a little out out there, just a little eccentric, just, you know, not as level about it. Like, I'm not going to lie. I like I said, when I went to um, AEW at Shape It's uh, last month or two months ago with my friends, we all had a blast. But Tony Khan seriously looked like the guy that uh, snorts the fun dip right out. I'm just going to be honest. And, you know, he, he just goes out there, grabs a mic, and just goes wild. It's like a Looney Tune. And, right. you know, but like I said, he's passionate. Passionate about the business. I'm very sure there's guys and females that are unhappy back in that locker room. I still think there's people unhappy in WWE. Oh, but, I do like, I think it's just – that's just how any job is. That's true. Any job – you're never going to have a job, whether it's at a – you know, whether you're in a restaurant or, you know, a sports team or a wrestling organization or an office, anywhere. Nobody – not everybody's always going to be happy. What you just need to do is – and that's what puts pressure on those who own the business and run it the most pressure because they feel like they have to make everybody happy. But it's just sure. – not so much that as much as just keep the morale as high as possible, you know, and make as much improvements for the betterment of those, the business impacts. So Tony Khan doesn't necessarily have to have a 100% approval rating from the locker room. He just has to make sure that the fans are entertained enough because of the amazing talent that's in the locker room. Right. And look, we, we found out too, during the Monday night awards that, that competition generally brings out the best in each company. And, and look, I mean, it's like that again, in any walk of life, like you mentioned, you know, I, if I, if I'm really good at what I do, let's say I, you know, 
say I sell cars. Well, I want the person across town who sells cars to be better than me because it's going to bring out, you know, you're going to, you get more creative on how to sell a car, you know, just a, a real poor example, but you understand what I'm saying. You no, know, I totally if, get it. you know, if our podcast, we think our podcast is pretty good. Well, let's say we've got somebody else who, you know, they, they're trying to do the same format as us, or they're trying to, trying to be as cool as us, which by the way, doesn't happen anyway. But if it were to, you know, we, yeah, that's right. But, it, but I mean, in, in that case, like we, we would find ways to become creative and, and kind of shake things up. And, and, and I think that's exactly what was needed. So uh, it'll be real interesting to see how SmackDown is Friday night. And then of course, you know, as, as we go on. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's a lot going on. If I'm Cody um, Rhodes, I'm glad I made amends with Triple H, though. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I am definitely glad if I'm Cody Rhodes. Like, holy crap. Right. Like, perfect. It's weird how those stars align at, at times. It really is. Um, so with that, we're now switching over to NFL training camp. Mm. We're transition from the lovely world of professional wrestling to the hard-hitting world of the NFL. Uh -huh. And we're, we're going to start with what's going on in Kansas City because, A, we didn't get – we were so busy last week, we didn't get a chance to. Right. Um, and this is what's, what's funny. So Orlando Brown Jr. has been one of the most talked-about players coming out of, Chiefs, out of Chiefs camp. Very talented offensive lineman. Never going to doubt that. But is he worth what he wants to be paid? Hell no. No. <laughs> Not a chance. And he's held out. He's finally started to it, – it, it's just a mess, basically. And, mm. you know, I reported it a while back about him not showing up. Now, finally, he does um, – strike a deal and um he's speaking out after his first practice yesterday um and you know he said he missed a lot of ball up to this point obviously he missed the locker room the coaches everyone he know how important the five-day stretch is to the coach but he was brought to Kansas City to help win Super Bowls and this week's very important to our progression um and their negotiations came down to the wire well, guess what? This is the thing. Orlando Brown Jr. signed the franchise tag. Mm -hmm. He's making $16 million this year just off that alone. That's stupid. For one year. People don't realize a franchise tag is when a player gets tagged for one year for a big sum of money. That's basically the spark notes first grade way of saying it. Yeah, um, that's, the go that's the going rate for the player at their position. Yes. That is what their player is valued at at that position. And for a left tackle, and mind you, Orlando Brown Jr. was a right tackle when drafted by the Ravens, but the yep. Chiefs moved him to left tackle, which it's not saying it's a bad thing, but financially, you need to understand that is the most important position in the offensive line, you know, unless, of course, you're a left handed quarterback, and then you can just worry flip about, it. yeah, flip it around. Then it's the right tackle. But the left tackle is the blind side for the majority of quarterbacks in the NFL because. Nobody likes us southpaws for some reason. Freaking discrimination. No, it's because uh, you're, you're weird. Well, you know what? You're quirky. Look, I, there is literally duck, a quarterback named Duck Hodges, okay? I, I don't want to hear about weird, okay? That's so, true. 
Um, and besides, being normal is boring, so I don't give a crap. I will agree with that. Touche. Touche, Jeremy. Touche. Like, um, nevertheless, I um, Atlanta Brown Jr. signed the 16-mil franchise tag, and there's no danger of him losing a starting job. But there is danger of one starter losing, actually three, um, one of them on the offensive line. He's freaking terrible. His, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to cut. I, actually, I didn't mean to say that out loud. But um, I was looking at his uh, his uh, pro football f- focus grade. He's terrible. Like in terms of in terms of goodness gracious. So I got to see if I can find him again. So put it this way. In in this 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 combines tackles from both the left and the right side. But he's not in the top 15. He's 28th. Oh shit. I mean, oh, that's 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 ridiculous. I mean, you've got guys like yikes. I mean, look, so Trent Williams obviously is the he's got the highest PA, the highest pro football focus grade in the league. Trent Williams, the tackle that got traded from Washington to San Francisco last year. Tyron Smith is number two. And then Jordan Mailata from Philadelphia is the third. Okay. Then you've got Jesse Davis from Minnesota, Lyle Collins from the Bengals, Trent Brown from the Patriots, Rob Havenstein from the, the Rams. I mean, look, I, I just, I, I, I mean, I, uh, wow. He's, I mean, I just that's that's not good. I mean, if you're gonna dude, he's not even the highest I can't believe this. He's not even the highest ranked tackle on his own team. I mean Ron Christian Sr. on the other side is. Yeah. Well, this is the thing with the Chiefs. So Andrew Wiley, the right tackle, yep, is currently penciled in at at his starting spot, but right. um, there is a chance he may not start the season at at that position. Jerron Christian has been performing very well. He played very well for the Texans last season, and on top of that, he has had a very impressive camp so far. And once preseason gets underway, we'll have to see how it goes. Now we flip over to um, more offensive positions. Um, you got, and this one just blows my mind. Clyde Edwards Alaire. Um, yeah, they Clyde might not even be. I think he will be, but a lot of people are saying otherwise. Given the injury history and the fact that he's having a rough camp, you know, and I also feel like for Clyde. The issue was, given he was drafted after Kareem Hunt, um, in in the sense of running backs in the Chiefs' history, right? The expectations were very high on him, and the Chiefs drafted him very high. Most will agree that they drafted him too high in the NFL draft, um, and you know, very injury riddled, talented, but you know, it is what it is. Then you got McCole Hardman. Now, I'm amazed about this 
because let me tell you, ever since Tyreek Hill got traded, I've usually heard nothing but good things on McCole Hardman. And, right. and now that you lost your fastest uh, fastest player, McCole Hardman becomes your new fastest player, basically. Um, your new speedster you got to look out for. The, the wide receiving core, Travis Kelsey is going to have a back injury only because he's going to have to carry the offensive weapons if the wide receivers do not pick it up for the Chiefs. Because this is who you got right now. You got Juju Smith-Schuster. Right. Um, Justin Ross is out for the year. I saw that. Um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is so hit or miss. Aaron Rodgers made him. He he is like MVS is the Randall Gritchick of the NFL. He's either going to get you a big-time deep touchdown or he's going to drop the easiest pass. Just like Gritchick's going to either hit you a deep or I'm done with you tonight. <laughs> That's twice. Maple syrup and Randall Gritchick. That's twice. <laughs> there we go. I, I, I don't got much time to show to go for a third one. But then there you, you go. also got you got McCall Hardman, you got your Josh Gordons, your Corey Coleman. God, it's like a Cleveland Browns dump. Um anyway, and you got Sky Moore, Omar Bayless. I mean Josh Gordon, look, Josh Gordon still has gas in the tank. And if the NFL's really I'm gonna, not even gonna make that joke. I am pulling the plug right there on that. Look, you I'm just, just saying, look, I'm just saying if the NFL doesn't test uh, for marijuana, he's fine. Oh, uh, why must you do that to me? That was perfect. Oh, look, I'm just saying. We all know. We all know yeah, that the idea of Josh Gordon is going to go up in smoke before the season's over. With you say you're done with me. Look, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. He's just young, wild, and free. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um. Oh my gosh. His, his, his summer home is next door to Snoop Dogg. Well, uh, see, look, speaking of wide receivers with problems, did you see the news on Hollywood Brown today getting arrested for uh, – Dude, uh, what? I mean – What happens in Vegas happens uh, in Vegas, but it makes the news on NFL Network because usually that's where NFL players mess up. Well, I mean, look at what happened with uh, Henry Ruggs. And, there, yeah. Look – Look, in the words of Chris Carter, and I will never forget this, and I can't remember who he said it to. He was talking at the Rookie Symposium. His exact words were, quote, unquote, get you a fall guy. I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, look. I mean, not that you can necessarily have somebody smoke the weed for you, I guess, but whatever. I mean, contact high. <laughs> well, I guess that's true. <laughs> but, okay, I mean, look, on top of you got to get back on track here. No. Yeah, unlike, you know, um, most of the NFL players that drive. Okay, nevertheless, uh, I had to. Um, oh, damn. Okay. Okay, I, okay. I you. you know, he he went like 50 miles over the limit, and he was past the school zone, too. Do you want to oh. Look, do you want to get to Deshaun Watson now since you want since we want to start making jokes? Yeah. Okay, yeah. You know, I've been um, sitting on this all damn show long. So if we're gonna do it, let's just sitting do on this all damn day long. Are you kidding me? I'm sorry. You well, no. yeah, it is basically time for our feature. Not everybody's quarterback can be wholesome and white bread and do ATT commercials like my Super Bowl winning champion quarterback, Matthew Stafford. 
Not uh, I thought you were about well, yeah, but not all of them can do uh insurance commercials and not know how to not throw a pick like Baker Mayfield. He got kicked out of his own damn house. He did. I was I was waiting for the commercial where they would change the keys on him for you know, a clipper change. But see, if I if they did that commercial, I might have very well changed insurance just for that. Just because they did that. But they didn't, so it is what it is. Would have been like he went on vacation and like, you know, squatters moved into his home or something. Oh my gosh. And then moved into uh his, his summer homes in Carolina. Okay, but yes, it is time for perhaps one of the biggest stories in sports right now. Um it, a factory of sadness. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to take you seriously sometimes when you have Cardinal stuff in the background and then you have Sammy Sosa sign right behind Look, that. 1998 saved baseball and you know it. Yeah, but you know what? Sammy Sosa is still going to make the Hall of Fame. No. Well, I mean, I, and, 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 his, and his namesake, Ed Mundo, got shipped to Philadelphia for JoJo Romero, which point? Exactly. That's yeah. The best, <laughs> the best Sosa in Major League Baseball is in Philly. There you go. Um, but yeah, selling Philly cheesesteaks in the streets. This is why. This is why I love live programs. Yeah, there you okay, go, folks. This is it. Is time we talk about the main topic of the evening, and that is the situation regarding Cleveland Browns quarterback, former Houston Texans quarterback. Deshaun Watson and everything regarding his suspension, the appeal that the NFL has decided to file, mm. um, which to me means everything about the independent arbitrator, uh, Judge Sue Robinson, was completely pointless. I mean, that's like you before the show telling me everything that you had in mind for the show. And then once we go on the air, I do and say none of it. That is basically what Roger Goodell is treating this independent arbitration part as. They're keeping I mean, on my toes. Yeah. I'm <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, and also this whole thing gives revenue um with the NFL. Um That's true. but no, but this is the issue. So Deshaun Watson was traded to the Cleveland Browns a couple months ago. And it was around this time, you know, the Saints, the Falcons, the Browns, other teams were interested in him. And the Cleveland Browns paid a big price. They traded multiple picks. They traded, they sent, it was over $230 million. Not all in one year, though. This year, he's only on a tab for $1 million. For, and for a football player of his caliber, trust me, that's not a whole lot. Um, because the Browns worked the contract to where they knew he was going to be suspended to some extent. And they had to make sure they had their their backs covered, basically. Whoa. Uh oh. We got another breaking news update. Or well, this this actually this actually applies to uh Deshaun Watson. So Jeff Darlington, uh earlier today, and I don't know if you saw this, I'm told the NFL is appealing for an indefinite suspension. There would be a minimum of one year. But perhaps more significant, given the structure of Watson's contract, source tells me, this being Jeff Darlington, the NFL's appeal will also include a monetary fine. Money is now a significant part of the equation. Yes. I, I saw I saw another one earlier this earlier today. I believe it was Schefter. It may have been uh uh 
Mort, uh, not, uh, uh, no, uh, Schrager, Peter Schrager, uh, Schrager had put out that, um, that before the settlement or before the, the initial suspension took place, that they tried to offer Deshaun Watson's camp a 12 game suspension and an $8 million fine, and that would be the settlement and it'd be done. This is why I told you earlier that I believe now that the NFL is going to appeal this and they win, they're going to do more than just slap him on the wrist. Well, that I already know. If the, if the NFL wins this appeal, and for everybody that says they will, keep in mind the NFLPA will most likely sue. This is going to go to federal court. And Deshaun Watson will probably play early, can very well play earlier than just the six game original suspension because um, it'll be stuck in in court to where because this happened with Ezekiel Elliott where he was suspended for six games and the NFL or the NFLPA appealed it. It went to federal court and what happened? Week one, Zeke was playing. The issue here is. There is this big cloud over all of it. Roger so, Goodell? I said cloud, not clown. Um, <laughs> no, that's Trim Balky in Jacksonville. Yeah, okay. There, that, that's Stephen Ross in Miami. I mean, <laughs> that's There you go. There's just so much. The NFL, the logo is a shield. But at some point, that shield is not going to protect them anymore. You know what's funny? I'm going to say this, and, and you're either going to hate me for it or you're going to be like, I'm right. Stan Kroenke's not the NFL's biggest problem right now. No, of course he's not. He, I don't even think he's been recently. He, If anything, I feel that – look, Stan Kroenke has not been the NFL's biggest problem. Roger Goodell has been the NFL's biggest problem. Jerry Jones has been the NFL – tied for the NFL's biggest problem. And Demore I mean, Smith. Demore Smith, NFL's biggest problem. Stan Kroenke is just St. Louis's biggest problem, as deservedly so, because Stan Kroenke is a greedy asswipe. That, That's I why. Will not, I will not disagree with that. So he doesn't mean I like the owner. Exactly. And just because I like the Cleveland Browns doesn't mean I agree with every single decision. There you go. That's my big thing. And people need to realize that. Do I think Deshaun Watson should be suspended more than six games for what's going on? And and first off, let's put I we have not officially gotten out there. First, the answer is hell yes. But second, we have not exactly put out there what this whole situation is. So Deshaun Watson is accused of um allegations from 24 women of um sexual misconduct and assault. Um 24 different masseuses in the Houston area. This happened while he was a member of the Houston Texans. Um, he did not play all of last year. So let's not act like he did play, you know, every game, made the Pro Bowl, things like No, Deshaun Watson has not played since 2020. Um, and we don't know what is, what's going to happen this year yet. Um, the Browns do have a plan in place. They got Jacoby Brissett. You know, and they still possess one of the more dangerous teams in the AFC with the, the best running back duo, the top line, you know, the stronger defense. defense. Is stout. Yep. The defense is out. It's just something that's happened for the past 20-something years is what they're going to do a quarterback, you know. Um, 
But Jacoby Brissett's, to me, just a solid midline starter. But the whole thing with Deshaun Watson, um, basically, they the NFL, there was an independent um, arbitrator, Judge Sue L. Robinson, who, a former federal judge and everything, who oversaw this between the NFL and Deshaun Watson and the PA, NFLPA, basically. And... Out of the 24 accusing allegations, remember, these are all allegations. Out of the 24 allegations that were presented or that were from, like, Deshaun Watson's, you know, situation, only five were presented to the judge, to Judge Robinson. And the, and there, it was just in the court of law, in the court of the case, Deshaun Watson had won that that spot in the situation. Like, she basically said, you know, that, yeah, he deserves a suspension. But based on the evidence, there was no fact of violence or sexual assault. And what it, what it ultimately became was, was conduct detrimental to, I guess, the Shield or the League. In terms of like, how would I compare to more, other situations? That's, that's the big yeah, thing. That's the best okay. way to put it. Let's yeah. put it this way: Ray Lewis was involved in a murder, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Um, guys like um, oh shit. well, Ray, Ray Rice, Rice. Ray Rice got a two-game suspension, and you know, beat the crap out of someone in the elevator. Um, it was his girlfriend, fiance. It was his. I think it was his. Yeah, fiance. It was his. It was his girlfriend, and she was a. She had become a fiance or whatever. And didn't right. he start out at like two games, and then it went to six games, and then it went yeah. to like like and, his, like, and his career was over. It up. Yeah. Right, and then Kareem Hunt. I oh, mean, Jesus. once again, a player on the Cleveland Browns. Once again, this happened when he was on the Kansas City Chiefs, but. You know, another it was all recorded and whatnot, and he was suspended multiple games, but not as harshly as it probably should have. Um, then you look at guys like I hate to say it, like Leonard Little, who committed vehicular manslaughter. Yeah, Kevin I remember Rose, that. who committed um, a D, who had a DUI, which resulted in homicide. Yep. Or that resulted in death. You know, I mean, Dante Stallworth. Um, oh, I forgot about that one. Dante Stallworth's. Um, do you remember? Do you remember back in the '90s, Ray Carruth, the yeah, wide receiver Ray for the Carolina Panthers, that killed his girlfriend and stuffed him in the trunk, stuffed her in the trunk of his car? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's you another one. Like Look, I, Josh Gordon suspended 78 games of his career for smoking weed. Like, but and then, but this is the thing: the if double standard. One, the double standard is unbelievable. Now, if there's one person I think that should not be suspended as long as he is what the hell is calvin ridley out a year for we were talking about this at dinner you, tonight. we were talking about this at dinner tonight look so we all know that it's it's taboo and it's against the cba to bet on your own sport yeah, but you're not, okay yeah, fine whatever it goes back to the whole pete rose thing but wait a minute you suspended deshaun watson six games now i, I get their allegations and I got something else to add on to that here in a minute. Yeah, but no Calvin problem. Ridley, he didn't hurt anybody. Look, he played for the Falcons. He sure as hell didn't throw any of those games. Matt Ryan threw those games to the other team. 
Yeah, exactly. And if anything, the, you know, Calvin Ridley being on the Falcons is detrimental to one's own health anyway. <laughs> I'm done. I really am done. Uh, I think – I think the and here I got one for you. So the thing about the Deshaun Watson case, and God, please, I'm not trying to make light of this, but of all people to come out and make a statement was Robert Kraft, dude. Look, I get your situation's a little different because it was consensual. It was still illegal. I get that she was giving you a hand with you know getting dressed or. Yeah, activities unbecoming of a NFL owner, if you will. For the lack of a better term, I really dug myself a hole there. Um, there was holes involved, that's for sure. <laughs> that's bored. Damn. We're on a roll tonight. But, I mean, I just I, – I tried to break this down, and I really tried to think about it because outside of having a, a journalism – degree. I also dabbled a little bit in criminal justice and psychology. And you, you kind of think of it as like, okay, so is this a, is this a demographic problem? Is this a uh, societal problem? Is this a, I think I'm bigger than the law problem? Yes. To all three, because we've always been taught that he or she who has the most money wields the, the biggest sword, which has the most power. And we continue to see, like these young players, Henry Ruggs, uh, Deshaun Watson, Leonard Little at the time, um, you know, Hunt, uh, you know, I mean, all these guys that have been in trouble. Like you literally have the world in the palm of your hands. Like there are, there are guys that were great athletes in high school and college. They go out and bust their ass 40 to 60 hours a week. Don't make close to what you make. We'll never make that much money in your life. And you blow it because... I mean, look, Deshaun Watson, whether you look at it as a traditional one or not, he's got an addiction problem, man. Like, he needs yeah. help. Whether you suspend him or find him, he needs help. Well, and part of the whole ruling from Judge Robinson was that any massage therapists have to be club their, like, masseuses. Like, he can't go down the street in Cleveland anywhere, or when he's out of town, he can't go to a massage therapist. Like, all these have to be from provided by the Cleveland Browns. And let's not exonerate the Houston Texans in all this either. I was getting ready it's, to go there. They are just they are very liable in all of this and I feel they haven't been punished enough either because it's kind of like an enabling of the situation. If you don't tell somebody there's a problem that they have a problem with what's going on. Now, cuz look, yeah, and then here, um, Jags history just put one on here. Um, this is interesting. Roethlisberger had made a statement as well, and let's not even get started on the whole um, Ben Roethlisberger situation because there's multiple on that, and like, well, and that's it, what he said. He came out and said he goes, if there was, if there was only a president that happened in the past that was set to make a decision here. Wait a minute. Do we all forget what Ben Roethlisberger apparently did to the co-ed in the, the the bathroom of a Georgia bar? And then there's Peyton Manning when he was in Tennessee, like when he was going to uh, in college. I mean, yeah. that like and then Brett Favre's sexting scandal. I mean, there is so much. I forgot about her. Yeah. Like there is so much 
in the NFL. Every it amazes me the lack of morals the NFL contains. Be, be, you see all these charity, all the charity work, the NFL Play 60, all the good things, but behind it, it is like pro wrestling in the 80s. There's nothing but it's just so much drugs, sex, like all rock and roll, of yeah. rock and yeah. roll, like all you got this it. stuff. And the thing of it is, instead of at the top, a guy like Vince McMahon who can actually maintain some sort of control and you have like the top stuff. Right now, Roger Goodell is a he's always been this, but now more than ever, he's a puppet to the owners, which is why I told, which is why I told you at the beginning before we went on the air, and I told you this earlier today, that if the NFL, well, if they appeal, which they did, if this when this goes to federal court, should it go to federal court, um, the NFLPA is going to absolutely just rip the NFL a new one because they're going to point out what Robert Kraft did. Let's not forget what Jerry Jones did with those scandalous pictures with the young girls. No, man, he was just putting them through college. Okay, yeah, well, he's putting them through somewhere, all right. Like, it's Jerry's world, and apparently uh, Roger Goodell is just living in it because that's he can do. Jerry Jones can do whatever he wants, says whatever he wants. I mean, it, honestly, I'm surprised Jerry's not the commissioner. I'm honestly surprised because he, ha I feel he has more power than Roger Goodell. Of course Goodell. he does. His, team's, his team is worth the most. If you don't have the star, then you don't have the shield. Yeah, but at the same time, Dallas hasn't done shit for practically my entire life. But the problem is, is Jerry Jones is still, he's just as old and as fucking senile as anybody is. Yeah, and I was going to say. His son he, runs the team. Well, being the owner of the Cowboys is like being the Pope. You're going to be there till you die. Let's be honest. Like, it, it, the only difference is the Pope has good morals and is actually a decent human being. So Truth. Truth. That, is, that is the only difference. God bless Pope Francis. Can't say the same for Jerry Jones. That said, um, no, this whole thing has gotten out of control with the, regarding Deshaun Watson because now, you know, fans are completely split on the issue. It is, Look, I just thought of something. If this okay. suspension stays at six games, okay, his he comes out of that suspension, and his first game is at Baltimore. Dude, right. Jeremy, they're going to eat his ass alive, man. Those yeah, fans can be just as bad as the black hole. Those fans are brutal. Yeah, well, you know what? They What they should do is just suspend them. Because guess what? Guess who does play? Guess who the Browns do play this year? The Texans. I say suspend Watson until they play the Texans, then throw him in there. Oh, I didn't, I didn't look that far into the schedule. I believe it is either – oh, no my freaking gosh. Way. Yes, no freaking way. We're both pulling up the schedule. but We're both pulling it up. It is December 4th, 2022. Ooh, Cleveland Browns ooh. are at Houston. Ho, ho, ho. Merry now, freaking you think, Christmas. Yeah, so if Deshaun's not suspended the whole year, if oh, he's not God. suspended the whole year – um, and he somehow is able to play December 4th. Wait a minute. Hang there on. is no reason you are not moving that game to a different slot. <laughs> that, and that's the thing. Like in the NFL, at the same time, you people are saying, Oh, but it's a moral thing, it's not morally right to play to have Deshaun you, play. You are I flexing that. that game. Yeah, you're flexing it. Like, but at the same oh, time, but what I'm saying here is like a lot of advocacy groups have come out against this. 
against Deshaun Watson only being suspended six games. People in general are only being suspended or saying, oh, you know, coming out against my him. God. What's that? So, no. you know, I told you that they were looking for a, a 12 game suspension. Right. Week 13 would be the Browns 13. That would be their first game after that 12 game suspension would be against Houston. Oh God. Maybe they already knew what they were doing with this. Like I said, you ever heard of chess wow. and checkers? I'm, you know, I I don't know what's going to happen with the whole suspension. Uh, but this is what I'm saying. You and I said it before, and I'll say it again. You can be, and I want everybody that's tuning in, everybody that ever looks back on this, you better get a drink of water on this because it's serious. You can be a fan of a team while not supporting every player that's on the team and supporting what moves have been made or right. supporting what someone's done. Like, oh, yeah, and here's one that was just brought up. I can't believe we overlooked this the whole time, James. What's you got? Dan Snyder. Literally yeah. everything that revolves around Dan Snyder with the Washington Commanders. Like, so thank you, Jax History, for bringing that up. That's a perfect example. And they're going to depose of that in – under oath, the NFLPA will if uh, this goes to federal court. The wow. NFL, the owners don't realize what they're getting themselves into. They think this is not going to be a bad, like, it's just, oh, yeah, well, guess what? It's it's Goodell's ruling, so, yeah, Watson's No, that is not how this is going to end up. The NFLPA said, look, we won't appeal it if you don't appeal it. Right. The NFL appealed it, which – was expected, honestly, because you know the NFL is what they are. Um, and look, like I said, do I think Watson should have been suspended for more games? Of course. Do I think Calvin Ridley should not be suspended practically at all? Yes, of course. But I knew, I just had that gut feeling that I knew that Deshaun Watson was only going to be suspended for six to eight games. I just had that sense. Why? Because at the end of the day, in the court of law, they are allegations. That's the problem with the whole thing. They are allegations that are not fact. That's right. Does that mean now? Does that mean they are untrue? No. That's another thing people need to realize. Just because something is alleged does not mean it is false, but it also doesn't mean it's true. And when it's under strict codes of law, there is a, lot, a fine line that has to be made about it. Yeah. That's that's what it's going by. Look, courts cannot be going off emotions. That's the problem. True. The justice yeah. system cannot be focused on your emotions. That's the important. And, and, you know, obviously a lot of cases could have been shifted otherwise. Like, if that was the case. But, no, I don't know when Deshaun Watson's going to play. I have no freaking idea. If, in my opinion, if the NFL really wanted to punish Deshaun Watson, they wouldn't have even let him get traded in the first place. Like they would have planned ahead and been like, "Okay, you're not playing. You're on Houston right now. You're not playing for the rest of the year." So if anything, you know, the NFL screwing Cleveland over as well because they're letting this happen. I, th I think what you should have probably done is the same thing that they did with Adrian Peterson whenever he was found. You know, the, the allegations of child abuse when he, you know, hit his hit his son with a switch or whatnot, to put him on a yeah. commissioner's list. You kind of go through the investigation. You go, you know, and ultimately, you know, that that he paid his penance and that was it. You know, you're right. Look, 
we can't, and, and we're not going to. I, I'm, you know, it's not our it's not our place to judge. Doesn't matter if it's court of law or higher power or whatever. But what it comes down to is generally you've got 24 counts here. I will say this: when there's smoke, there's fire. Okay, that, that, that's just oh, yeah. there's got to, at least one of them. One too many. One has to, you know. Right, like, right. If I mean, it's one, if it's one, two, it could. Well, and we're not discrediting anyone. Anybody right. that's been. Yeah, that's. A, I'm glad you. I'm glad you said yeah. that. Let me say that. Just because it's one case doesn't mean like in so much as different. It's just in this scenario because there's 24, it does raise a lot of red flags towards right. Deshaun Watson. Right. And I that's mean, why it makes it more like, okay, how is he only suspended six games? Right. And and odds are gonna odds are gonna tell you that at least one of those is true. Now he did that's settle true. he settled with what eight of these? Was it eight he that settled he settled with? All with? One. Okay. So the last I had heard was eight. So so if yeah. he settled with them that kind of tells me there's a little bit of an inference of guilt there because you don't want those to get to the grand jury. Because you get those to the grand jury, then you've got a bigger problem. Just settle it as a civil civil suit and let it go. That, and even that right there should tell, you know, the you know Judge Sue whatever her last name was. It's Robinson. not really important. How you could have taken it to Judge Duty and she may have suspended him more. But the point being is that that shows a little bit or at least some admittance of guilt. We don't know how far or how little or whatnot. Again, I don't really care. The fact is, is that one's too many. But the thing is, is we, we've seen this over and over again, whether it's domestic violence or assault or or battery or abuse, verbal, emotional, physical. I don't give a damn which one it is. There's got to be a program. There's got to be some kind of rehabilitation. We do this for regular Joe Blow on the street. You know, instead of sending him to jail, we're going to try to rehabilitate him. Is there not... I, they've got all the damn money in the world. Is there not something we can do to help these young man, young men stay on the right track instead of just slapping them on the hand and expecting them not to do it again? I mean, that's like, you know, you feed a lion a big piece of meat, he snaps it out of your hand. Well, the next time he's going to take your damn arm because it tastes good, because there's not a way to stop that from happening from the get-go. Right. Yeah. Everybody, everybody wants the solution, but nobody wants to address the fucking problem. That's how I see yeah. it. No, and, and the thing of it is, is that I feel there's just so much hypocrisy with the whole situation, though. Like I said, I believe – now, see, Deshaun – also, take into account Deshaun Watson. You talk about the settlements. Deshaun Watson has settled, I believe, with all but one of them, with all right. the women involved. And, you know, you want you say keep it civil. You know, don't let it get to the grand jury. And usually, when, like you said, usually when somebody settles somehow, that's that kind of sign of guilt. That, okay, I was guilty. I just want to get this over with. This is the problem, though. Deshaun Watson at camp is con or wherever is constantly denying that it's happened, like that he did any wrong. And that is the problem I have with this. As a quarterback... As an NFL quarterback, I think it's awesome that the Cleveland Browns were able to get him. Strictly as the talent level that he is. As a person, from what I've, the facts I've been given, from what I've heard, and from what it appears to be, 
I think it's been nothing but a distraction the past two months. Agreed. And it's not just affected the team. It's not just affected him. It's affected the entire league. And I think it brings out the hypocrisy of the owners and everybody higher up than a player that has ever done anything wrong while in a part of the NFL and has gotten off scot-free or to a less extent of it. Yep. Because let me tell you, first off, I think here's, here's an example of a punishment Whoa. that was. Hang on. I just, I thought of another one that we forgot. Yeah. And this, this one hits home because it happened in St. Louis. Janoris Jenkins, bro. Yeah. Remember all the stuff that happened on the <laughs> East side? And then you want to switch sports, you can go with Carlos Martinez. Yeah. There's your head case right there. Well, and what I was getting at is, and I'm praying I don't lose my train of thought, but that's okay. I totally get Sorry, it. I, look, I, no, if it pops in, it pops in your head, it pops in your head. Um, but you take a look at guys like with the Deshaun Watson situation. Okay. We talked about guys like Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, whatnot, all this. And here's a case of somebody who actually got a rightful punishment for what he has done in the past. Maybe it wasn't, maybe he should have been harsher, but I'm glad he got what he deserved. Kellen Winslow, the second. Yeah. For the sexual assault, for the rape that he committed, for all the crimes he did. And if I remember correctly, I, I want to see the full um, sentence. Um, he is, let's see. Yeah, a 14-year prison sentence for one count of rape and two counts of assault. Yep. Um, and the sentence started last year. Yep. Now, here's a question. Is Henry Ruggs just going to get a, a year suspension, um, an eight-game suspension, for literally being the reason someone died? Since that when is since when is death of a person measured in games in a football league? That's well, what pisses me off. Like you have players that have been directly responsible for murder that just basically it's like it's wiped away. You get these players well, that have done sexual assault, that have done sexual assault, and even if you're accused of it, it should be a harsher sentence. And that's what right. pisses me off is well, the hypocrisy like, in the NFL. The thing with the Henry Rugg stuff, like like he's facing, he was charged with uh, five crimes, four of which are felonies, and he's looking at forty six years in prison. So you know, in a situation like that, you have the the criminal justice system actually taking it away from the NFL. But, you know, let, let's look back and look. I, I don't like Tom Brady for obvious reasons. I just don't like him. But I still feel like he cost us the Rams in St. Louis. But anyway, stay focused, James. So my yeah, problem was, was like, you, you look at the like the flight gate, and he got suspended over that. And because he wouldn't give somebody give up his cell phone, he got a harsher suspension than Deshaun Watson did, man. Yeah. It's like, say what you want about Brady. That that ain't right. That Watson, if Watson should be out longer, um, and if he's not, first off, <clears throat> okay, like I said, for the football fan in me, six games, sweet. For right. the human being, 
me. Um, no, he needs to be out longer because this is not right. Um, because one way or another, at least 24 people's lives were affected because of Deshaun Watson. Agreed. And 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 bigger, and it expands beyond 24 because then you got the victims' families. Yeah. And, you know, and these women have to go to back to their jobs where Deshaun Watson very well could have done what he was alleged to have done. Like, and imagine having to do go through that. Like that is, well, you know, in in criminal justice circles, like sexual abuse, rape, uh, sexual assault, that kind of stuff is referred to very cruelly as the quote unquote gift that keeps on giving because it doesn't affect just one person. You know, it affects that person's significant other or their kids or their parents or their, their, their employment and stuff like that. And, you know, on Sundays when Deshaun Watson is calling Y2 Red Z out, he's not going to be thinking about those lives he affected. Every time he cashes a paycheck on the 1st or the 15th or sees these big, you know, numbers in his bank account, he's not going to be thinking about that. And, you know, I think, and, and, and look, maybe you could argue that, oh, let's take a larger sum of money from him or take some money from him at all. You know, that's going to affect it more. But I, I think until you, I think it has to be a double-edged sword. I think you have to burn both candles at, 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 you know, you have to burn both ends of the candle at the same time. Otherwise, uh, otherwise these young testosterone filled superstars that come out of college and look, it's fans like you and I that make these guys as big as they are, man. He was huge at Clemson. He beat Alabama, son of a. I hey, anyway. You can be you can be sad about that part. I'm well, I'm, ha I'm happy well, the roll tide got run down. <laughs> uh, hey, look, like Saban said, last year was just a rebuilding year. So, but I mean, but we, but look, in all honesty, we make these superstars what they are. Let's go back even further. As you were sitting there being so prophetic about what you were talking about. Let's go back to Broadway Joe Namath. He was a womanizer, very much so. And we will never know. I don't need to know that Clemson beat Alabama twice. I'm fully aware of this. <laughs> Anyhow, um, but, I mean, you go back to Joe Namath. Go back to those guys that, you know, were just Go back English. to Babe Ruth. Like, right. I mean, perhaps the biggest sports icon in history. Right. Babe Ruth well, was a huge I mean, womanizer. Hell. What was it, uh, Susie from ESPN? I can't think of her last name, but Joe Namath and the I want to kiss you comment oh, yeah. on Monday Night Football. So, I mean, look, we, you know, I, I'm going to use a, a wrestling metaphor here. Tony Atlas, when asked about his popularity and the money he got. Susie Colbert, by the way. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Susie Colbert. You know, Tony Atlas, they, when they asked him what went wrong, he goes, too much too quick too much money too young your testosterone filled look i don't i i you know not that i think these i think these athletes are in a sense like programmed to think that they're bigger than what they are and i think sometimes when when crimes like this happen you know you've got to you've got to you have to well, in a sense, something that's not very politically correct, but I'll use the terminology anyway. It's It's been used in, in sports circles before. Sometimes you have to shoot a hostage. You have to make an example of one of your highest profile athletes and, and set the standard. And, and unfortunately, it wasn't done here. It is going to be interesting to follow this, though, because I got a feeling this one's going to the Supreme Court.
I feel it's going. I could see it going to the Supreme Court. I I almost would bet on it that it's going to a federal court. Right. Because there is no way the NFLPA is because the NFLPA has all the reason to back up their players, much like the NFL has the uh, right to back up who they care about, which at the end of the day is the owners themselves. You know, it's just one big ego stroking battle. And unfortunately, we the fans have to pay for it. And it's and it's also most importantly out of all this. It's unfortunate that this all has to play out. Like where it looks like a drama soap opera when it's I feel like right now they're playing with lives. They are. They're playing with the lives of innocent women who, for one way or another, were just doing their, was just there to do a job. And whatever happened behind those curtains or behind those doors, you know, we won't know. You don't know. I don't know. We weren't there. But something happened that got everyone to this point. For sure. And at the end of the day, we, you know, Deshaun Watson's life's not going to be the same. Their lives aren't going to be the same. Roger Goodell's life's not going to be the same. Everybody who has any stake in any of this will not be the same. But I think this show, this, this is the match that lights the flame that will expose so much in the NFL. It'll expose the hypocrisy of the way they've sentenced players while exposing the hypocrisy of how the NFL doesn't do anything towards the owners. And if they do, yeah, you know, maybe a couple mil here or there or something. You know, you talk about Jerry Jones being worth well over a billion, maybe a couple bill. Um, And then look at um, just yesterday, Stephen Ross of the Miami Dolphins being – uh, fined and suspended because uh, pick he's suspended for a short time. I don't remember how long. And but the Dolphins have to forfeit a first round pick next year and then a third round in 2024 because of tampering in regards to Tom Brady and Sean Payton. And there right. was accusations of throwing games, which they found out not to be the case. But it's just the NFL is literally becoming more and more like the no fun league but not because of what we used to call it that for we used yep. to call it the no fun league because the way the rules were getting changed and the quality of the games defense couldn't do anything now we're calling it the no fun league because now there's just so much controversies there's so many crim- crimes being committed there's yep. it's just yep. You've got to you you've got to do something before it becomes the because before it becomes the national felon league, right? There has to be a line that's drawn, and something has to be done. Um, and I think also this would be a good chance for the NFL to set precedent for the other leagues. That that's know, a good point. Have, you know, for an MLB has trouble on figuring out what the hell they should do. You know you what? Know? You know what this all reminds me of? Did you? By any chance, did you see when the, the Rock was on the show Ballers on HBO? Do you remember that um, show? I remember it, but I was not with the when the Rock was. Go back. Well, he he's he he's a, he actually funny enough is a sports agent in the movie. He gets into he was a former 
player becomes a sports agent. You watch one episode of it, watch the first episode, and it describes everything the NFL is right now. But it's very NSFW, very much so. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I, well, I could. That's why it's uh, Nonetheless, it, it just kind of sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, nightclub life, you know, it just that's that's about it, man. That's the epitome of it. I was going to say, and don't don't get me wrong. I mean, the days of people, of players smoking, you know, cigarettes and stuff and coaches, you know, drinking alcohol on the sidelines are long gone. And we're never going to see that again. And thank God for that. Like, but look, I it's not fun hearing, you know, waking up in the morning and finding out a player just drove 110 miles an hour down Las Vegas and killed somebody because he was intoxicated. Yep. And then you got Damon Arnett, you know, throwing guns on a live stream, and then he gets, you know, in, in major trouble. So there's yep. just a lot with the NFL. This has been the one of the wildest off seasons and one of the wildest past years for think, almost all the wrong reasons. I was gonna say, let's let's just tie tie a big bow on all of this because I mean there's certainly been a lot to digest tonight. It's just been really since we came since we quote unquote came out of the pandemic when things started to open up and unlock that it just seems like everything is just I mean it really does remind me of like what is a one of the one of the purge movies man it's it's nuts. I mean I mean, and look, just look in the last three, four days or last two weeks of sports. Like, think about all the stuff we've talked about and all the stuff we've covered. I mean, I mean, certainly, look, we love it. Thanks for providing us content. I, I wish it wasn't like this. I mean, I wish I was yeah. talking about, you know, Van Jefferson had successful knee surgery only because I know he woke up from it. That's how I'm guessing it's successful. Or the fact that Matt Stafford's not throwing a football. I hate it for the fact that Broncos wide receiver Tim Patrick's going to miss the year with a torn ACL. That's the stuff we should be talking about, not this. Exactly. That, you know, we want to, when we talk about the NFL, we want to talk about the NFL for football. We don't want to talk about for all the wrong reasons. And unfortunately, you know, that's just, that's just how, the way it is. And it's yep. heartbreaking. So we will have to see how these unfold and we'll definitely keep you posted. At least at least the next time we talk, the next time we, we do our show next Wednesday, we'll have preseason football to talk about. Yes, we will. And we are the Hall of Shame the, the Hall of Shame game tomorrow night between the Jags and the Raiders. Oh my gosh. Um they're they're having it the NFL created a new rule. Team with the worst record has to lead the league. Is it like relegation, like in like the English Premier League? Yeah, yeah. There you Was go. this Ted Lasso? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Worst goodness. team, you're out. Get out. Um, oh, man. Well, James, it has been, it's been quite the evening. It has been quite yeah. the evening. Busy, busy evening. Busy, busy week. Um, we're on tap to be joined by Alistair Fennell next week, um, hopefully – He's on. If not, you know, we'll we're, we'll Shopping. be back. Yeah, you know, we're, we're we're always here, and who knows? We may have some special editions of uh, Roundabout Sports around. May not always be on a uh, Wednesday night. You know how yeah. life life works in mysterious ways. Oh, it does it's it. just the way we like it. 
Yep, um, yep. And before we close, I want to start off by showing the um, the NAMI hotline for, for mental health. You can call it at uh, 1-800-950-NAMI. It is open 24-7. And, you know, understand mental illness is a real concern. Um, and it's an issue that needs to be addressed in the world and never feel that you're alone. And once again, the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline used to be a phone number, but now I'm thankful it's they only... They shortened it down to just uh, 988. So at, once again, that's open 24-7, 365, 366 on leap years. You are never alone. We all struggle day in and day out with so many things. Oh, and no. it just takes a simple phone call to perhaps potentially save your life. Just know that you're always loved and we love you. And we thank you so much for spending the past couple hours with us this evening. And he's... Hollywood James Knox. I'm the maestro Jeremy Carp. Thank you for tuning in to Roundabout Sports. And remember, life is a book full of empty pages just waiting to be written in. Make your lives worth reading. Good night, everybody.